Well, we heard um, yesterday something of the importance of, of story. Let me um, remind you what I'm sure is a very familiar story to all of you. Saul of Tarsus was a zealous young man. He was zealous to know and to grow in the love of God. He was zealous to fulfill God's law and to be righteous before him and to be accepted by him. And he was zealous to protect the people of God from anything that would lead them astray from that great end. And it was that same zeal that also made him famous for persecuting Christians. Saul was there holding the clothes of those who were stoning Stephen to death to protect them from being spattered with blood. And from there, we're told that he went on to destroy, uh, seeking to destroy the church in Jerusalem. And we cut to the Damascus Road. Paul is making his way with a search warrant, uh, firmly uh, clasped in his hand, when suddenly he is bathed in light from heaven. Now, he's too much of a good theologian to not have some inkling of what's going on here, plus probably an incredible sense of the presence of God, and he sinks to his knees and he squeezes his eyes tight shut because you don't want to be in the presence of God and look at him face to face, right? And he's good enough theologian to know that God doesn't show up without offering a word. And what will that word be? Well done, good and faithful servant. Why are you persecuting me? Huh? Who are you, Lord? Um, I am Jesus. Jesus. And I am sure when he hears that word, there's not just a revelation of truth, but a revolution in his soul. That other story that the Christians have been telling about this Jesus is actually true. Real. The Christians were right after all, and he would spend the rest of his life saying so. Jesus is the Son of God. He has been raised from the dead. He has conquered the powers of sin and death. He is the Lord of all creation. The past, the present, and the future are all in His hands, and one day, every knee will bow like His is bowing. Because He's going to come back and finish what He started. Somebody here believes it. Saul, you see, always loved God's law with a passion. But now he was in the presence of the author and the end of it. He always knew that the purpose of the law was to provide a way of being right with God, but he had no idea what that felt like until now. This Jesus had not come to abolish the law, but to fulfill it. To draw us into a relationship with the Father that we might live as His beloved children and suddenly 
His heart is filled with a new love for God, a new love for others. Every murderous desire is swept away. And a new longing is placed in his heart. Saul's companions led him to Damascus by the hand, because of course, when he tried to open his eyes, he could not. Three days he was blind, his eyes sealed shut. Three days sealed shut like Jesus was sealed shut in the tomb. And then the risen Jesus sends Ananias round to lay hands upon him for the gift of the Holy Spirit. And when he does, the same spirit that rolled back the stone from the tomb of Jesus peeled back the scales from Saul's eyes and he could see again. But oh, the world looks so much different now. A whole new world, actually. A whole new world. The Spirit not only opened his eyes, however, but filled his heart. A spirit of wisdom and revelation to know the Father better. A spirit of power and love that would overcome all his timidity and fear. A spirit of faith and self-discipline so that he could follow Jesus, holding nothing back and make him known to all the world. From now on, nothing else mattered. Nothing else mattered more than this. That he should know the presence and the leading of Jesus in his life. And nothing else in all the world was going to stop that either. Neither height nor depth. Nor principality, nor power, nor anything else, angel or demon in all of creation would separate him from this love which was now his. And finally, he is baptized. Goodbye, Saul. Hello, St. Paul. How's about that for a new beginning? You would think that Paul would spend the rest of his life telling people that story, wouldn't you? Well, I would. But he doesn't. In fact, he only really mentions it in that form once more when he's defending his apostleship. Why? Why would he not? Because that was just the beginning. That was a mere beginning. Let me suggest this. To be truly converted is not just to be put right with God, not just to enter into a relationship with Jesus, is to be left longing for more of him. That's the mark of real conversion. Do you long for more of Jesus this morning? Paul longed for more of him. Christ turned out to be the key to all his striving. He had a new kind of zeal placed in his heart for an intimate, growing relationship of love and obedience with him. You see, to be taken hold of by Jesus is to be left longing for more of him. just in case you thought we'd forgotten the Word of God. Brian's going to come and read it. The words from 
Paul's letter to the Philippians, chapter 3, verse 7 through 21. Yet whatever gains I had, these I have come to regard as loss because of Christ. More than that, I regard everything as loss because of the surpassing value of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. For his sake, I have suffered the loss of all things, and I regard them as rubbish in order that I might gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but one that comes through faith in Christ, the righteousness from God based on faith. I want to know Christ and the power of his resurrection and the sharing of his sufferings by becoming like him in his death, if somehow I may attain the resurrection from the dead. Not that I have already obtained this or have already reached the goal, but I press on to make it my own because Christ Jesus has made me his own. Beloved, I do not consider that I have made it my own, but this one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and straining forward to what lies ahead, I press on toward the goal for the prize of the heavenly call of God in Christ Jesus. Let those of us who are mature be of the same mind. And if you think differently about anything, this too God will reveal to you. Only let us hold fast to what we have attained. Brothers and sisters, join, me, join in imitating me and observe those who live according to the example you have in us. For many live as enemies of the cross of Christ. I've often told you of them, and now, I t now, you will, now even with tears, their end is destruction. Their God is the belly, and their glory is in their shame. Their minds are set on earthly things, but... Our citizenship is in heaven, and it is from there that we are expecting a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. He will transform the body of our humiliation, that it may be conformed to the body of his glory by the power that also enables him to make all things subject to himself. The word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. I consider everything a loss compared to the surpassing greatness of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord, to gain Christ and be found in him. Do you long to know Jesus more fully? Is it your heart's desire to walk with him so intimately that you begin to think and feel and speak and move and live like him? Do you long to know him as your Lord? To surrender all for this transforming presence and power in you? You see, Paul's consuming passion was to be in Christ and to have Christ in him. I want to know the righteousness that comes through faith. This is not just forgiveness of sins. This is the spirit of adoption. This is being filled up with that spirit that cries out within us, Abba, Father. I want to know the power of his resurrection. 
This is not just some guarantee of safety for when we die. It's about having a God who raises the dead and who puts his spirit in us that actually has the power to take out those stones from your vessel, right? Doesn't matter how deep it is or how tricky, we have a God who raises the dead. He can take Jesus out of a tomb. What can't he take out of you? I want to know the fellowship of his sufferings because this following of Jesus is not just some romantic love fest, you know, with him. It's about being willing, able, desiring to live and die for him. Do you long to know Jesus more fully? Do you get from this, this text something of what Paul is trying to say, a glimpse of this surpassing greatness of knowing Jesus, because Paul is saying not just that Jesus is so much better than everything else, you know, some kind of better option, uh, you know, in the, in the vast menu of life. He is saying there is nothing else like him. No one else, nowhere to turn. He is in a category of one. We were made for a deep and abiding relationship with Jesus. There is a hunger deep within us that can only be satisfied by it. Piece of advice. Make knowing Jesus your goal. Above all else, be zealous. Long for that. Accept no substitutes because there aren't any substitutes. Although accepting substitutes and leaving ourselves too easily satisfied is what we do all the time. There are no substitutes. Not learning. Oh, Paul, Saul had plenty of learning. Not personal devotion, he had plenty of devotion. Not even corporate worship. He could show up and rock worship with the best of them. Probably. Um. <laughs> Not moral conduct. He was better at it than any of us. Be zealous for Jesus. Then everything else will make sense. Make everything else find him as its end. The secret of discipleship is zeal for Christ. Zeal for Jesus. I want to know Christ, says Paul, and somehow to attain the resurrection from the dead. Do you long for the resurrection? Sometimes in that class, you know, when it's getting dull, uh, I'm, 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 I'm sure that we don't sort of go walking around, perhaps. And now this is not really a, 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 a thought about um, the end times or, or uh, raptures or anything like that. What I, what I think Paul is saying is, do you know that this world is not your true home? God has called us heavenward, he says, 
because our citizenship is in heaven. We were made for heaven and to live in eternity, but let's not get this wrong. Heaven is not just that place sort of above the clouds where God resides, right? Heaven is where God is. To be caught up in heaven is to be caught up in the presence of God. Where is God? Right here. Eternity is not just some vastly long stretch of time that goes on forever and ever when we die. Eternity is that which has no beginning or end. And there's only one thing that has no beginning or end, and that is God. Eternity is another name for God. Do you live and walk? in eternity. Paul had heaven in his heart and walked in eternity. To be in Christ is already to be seated in the heavenly places. Not that I've already attained all this, he says. We've not arrived yet. But he says, let us live up to what we have already attained and let us not diminish or, or um, let, us, let us make sure we understand how great this thing is that we have already attained. In Christ, we have the powers of the will to come poured out in our souls. To to long for more of Christ is to live in the meantime where the powers of the world to come are ours already. To live and walk in eternity. Don't underestimate what we have already attained. Whether we live or die, we have a God who raises the dead. That means that you are free to live or die for this God who raises the dead. Free to hold nothing back. You see, Paul says we, however, eagerly await the Savior. We know where this whole show is going, right? Jesus has showed us how it's all going to end. I mean, you know, let's think about that big story just for a minute. A God who loves the world into being and who loves his creation that falls out of love with him and is separated from him and then his great mission of love to restore creation to himself so that in the end there will be, when heaven and earth are rejoined, a new creation when we will live in God's presence fully and completely and all be fully and completely transformed. How likely is it that that's going to happen? How likely is it? Is it just a possibility? Well, God could because he's kind of powerful enough. And he made stuff, so maybe you can do it again. Is it a probability? On balance, he might actually be working to this conclusion. 
It is not just a possibility or a probability, it's an inevitability. I've been watching too much Matrix. I, I... <laughs> it's inevitable because God has already done it in Jesus the one who was killed by all of the principalities and powers, the worst that this world could lay upon him, was, was dragged into the grave and dragged down to hell, and, and God says, no, you will not have my son, the son of my love, and pours out the spirit of love and raises him from the dead. The first fruits of a new creation that is coming, and when we are in Christ, we taste of the powers of the world to come already. It's in you and in me. What are you too afraid to do? Why would you hold anything back? What is the world going to do to you? What can it take from you? We have a God who raises the dead. Free to live and die for Jesus, to face all kinds of troubles and hardships and beatings and imprisonments and riots and hard work and sleepless nights. This is what Paul says, to live is Christ and to die is gain. Piece of advice, seek a godly dissatisfaction. Oh, I know you could say to me, Phil, I'm always dissatisfied. That's not a problem for me, <laughs> that one, you know. I'm not talking about grumbling, right? I'm talking about groaning. There's a difference between grumbling and groaning. When the Holy Spirit is, uh, and the Spirit of Christ is put in our hearts, there is a groaning for more. A longing for more of Christ. A longing for more of Christ that is not just about for our own personal transformation. It's a longing that is placed in our hearts for God to fulfill his work in and around us and in the world that we are in. A longing for his kingdom to come. A longing for us to become all that he has destined us to be. A longing for the person that I know that is broken and hurting to be healed. Marriage is restored. Sick made well. Blind to see. Do you long for this? This is the longing of Jesus in our hearts to make you the kind of person that will long for that. The secret of ministry is zeal for Christ. Paul says, this one thing I do, forgetting what is behind and straining to what is ahead, I press on toward the goal. It's like a race you see in which all of life becomes an opportunity for the pursuit of God. Let me ask you this. Do you, act, do you long for Christ to be the center of your life? Paul's life was full of activity, right? He was a missionary, an evangelist, an apologist, a miracle worker, a church leader, not to mention his day job as a tent maker. And yet he can say, this one thing I do... This one thing I do, he is speaking about his magnificent obsession, that which is first in importance, his reason for being, his guiding purpose, the center of all things, to live as a child of God, as a citizen of heaven, and take other people with him on the way. 
One of the greatest problems facing us is what the ancients would call spiritual dissipation. We find ourselves trapped by the successes and failures of the past, being tossed to and fro by the concerns and anxieties of the present, in anxiousness and fear about what the future might hold. And all of these things tend to take us away from the presence and the leading of Christ. We all suffer, one way or another, from spiritual attention, deficit, disorder. Maybe even ADHD. Some advice, develop some spiritual disciplines. Pursuit of any goal takes discipline. But above all, through and through, Paul's writing, pray without ceasing and give thanks in all circumstances. Pray without ceasing. The older I've got, the more I've begun to realize that this is never about how long and hard and I pray, the posture that I take, the places that I am, The secret to praying, without, to praying without ceasing is to become a prayerful person. And what is the secret of that? To long for more of Christ. You see, the secret of the spiritual disciplines is not how disciplined you are, it's how much you long for the spirit of those disciplines. And the end of those disciplines, which as means of grace, is to enfold us in the presence of Jesus and to be filled with his spirit. It's through prayer that we recenter ourselves on Christ and we open our hearts to his spirit and surrender our lives to, in, to his hands. The secret of this discipline is zeal for Christ. Paul looks forward to the day when the Spirit of Christ will transform our lowly bodies so that we will be like His glorious body. This is the price that we are to pursue. I wonder, do you long to have a new body? <laughs> the older I get, the more I long for that. <laughs> but Paul isn't talking about some extreme makeover here, right? He is talking about being fitted for the new heaven and the new earth. He is thinking about that time when there will be no more death, no more pain, no more crying anymore, where we will join the multitudes singing, dancing, and falling to our knees, lost in wonder, love, and praise. Is that the kind of body you long for? We are jars of clay. Though outwardly we are wasting away, yet inwardly we are being renewed day by day. So we fix our eyes not on what is seen, but what is unseen and eternal. Why? Because we become what we see. Jesus taught his disciples, the eye is the lamp of the body. You are what you see. If your eye is full of light, your body will be filled with light. If your eye is full of darkness, your body will be filled with darkness. What are you fixing your eyes upon? 
Fix your eyes upon Jesus, the light of the world, and the light of his spirit will fill you and transform you from one degree of glory to another. By the way, not from rubbish to glory. If Christ has hold of you, there is no more rubbish. From glory to glory. Do you long for a glorious body? Advice, watch over one another. Paul says, join with others in following my example and live according to the pattern we gave you. You see, by ourselves, we easily lose sight of Jesus. That spiritual attention deficit disorder kicks in all the time. We become decentered, or as Mr. Wesley would say, unhinged from God. Have you ever felt unhinged? How do you become rehinged, centered? It's when you gather together as he found and as Jesus demonstrated and as Paul insisted with others who will watch over you in love and who you have the responsibility to watch over in love, to watch your watching and to watch that you watch my watching. And, you know, it's deep. Um, Why on earth would you gather together with a small number of other people and share the depths of your soul with them? Why would you tell people not just about the high points in your life, but the lowest, most devastating and difficult things? Why would you share with people not just your advances in grace, but the things that hold you back and the sins that you have committed? Not because you need some kind of therapy or because this is a practice of catharsis for you. The reason that we do these things and only make sense of this is that we long for more of Jesus. And when you long for more of Jesus and you meet with others who long for more of Jesus, what matters more is that we move towards the goal to shed everything that holds us back. And as Mr. Wesley would say, there is no such thing as a solitary Christian. No such thing as a solitary Christian. The deep secret of real spiritual friendship is zeal for Christ. Last, as we lead into our communion, I think the key claim that Paul makes is this. I press on to take hold of that for which Christ took hold of me. It takes us back to the Damascus Road. In all this talk about pressing on to the end, it reminds us where everything truly begins. It's not that it truly begins with conversion. That's not what I mean. I mean where it truly begins is with the heart of God who longs for us more than we ever long for him. He reaches out to us in Christ. It is God who strives after us. We are his prize. We are his focus. He longs to live with us. To be known by us is his goal. If we have any zeal for God, it flows from his zeal for us.
Why? Because he wants us to live in the fullness of the life that he offers. He wants us to know that not just individually, but corporately as his people. He wants us to be those whose lives are made holy, whose lives are centered on Christ so that his son may be made known, not just in principle, but in reality. Because if there is one thing that people taste in us, it's not just our attainments, it's our aspirations. It's aspirations that shine. That longing is contagious. Before we hit Philippians 3, Paul invites people to a life of holiness so that they may shine like stars in the universe in order to hold out the word of life. Do you long to shine? Do you long to shine with the radiance of Christ in your life? Then the last piece of advice is this, let Christ take hold of you. God is zealous for your zeal. He wants a flame of love to burn brightly within you in this dark universe. Because the truth is, we can only hold out that which has a hold of us. With any kind of authenticity and reality. The secret of all true witness is zeal for Christ. As we come to the table, I invite you to see this as a sacrament of zeal, a discipline of zeal. This represents God's zeal for you, to live and die for you in Christ so that you might be raised to life for him. It's an opportunity for you to renew your zeal for Christ. Don't just come to be fed and satisfied. Come to be made hungry. Don't just come here to have your longings met. Come here to meet with Jesus and have your longings stirred up. Don't just come here looking for forgiveness. You'll get it, but if you truly receive it, it will leave you longing for more. Let us pray. Lord, we confess that so often our hearts are not filled with the flame of love for you. It might be on our lips, but it may not be on our hearts. And even when it's on our hearts, it seems to be extinguished so quickly by this or that or the other thing. Or we are so tempted to set our hearts on lesser things to be too easily satisfied with what the world can offer, or even the church, 
can offer. And we mistake busyness and zeal for other things with a true longing for you. As we come to your table, Lord, we pray that you will open our eyes to remember how much you long for us. And that knowing your longing for us, we come with broken and contrite hearts. We come asking for your forgiveness and come to receive your forgiveness and to hear your word that our sins are forgiven that we can be drawn back and taken hold of by you again, whether we were looking for it or not, because you long for us more than we ever long for you. We thank you that you forgive us. And we pray that you will put that flame of love in our hearts for Jesus. We pray you will pour out your Spirit upon us, that we might not be simply receiving elements of bread and wine, and that it might not even be us that are taking hold of you, but you taking hold of us, that we might hold out the word, word of life to others. Kindle your flame within us. Renew our longing for you. And Lord, if we've struggled with this idea of longing, but we know that we long. We pray that your Spirit will cause us to long to long for more of you. But Lord, fill us with yourself. In Jesus' name, amen.